Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. The honor and the privilege to be here this morning with you, all the way from Perth Amboy. I tell you, the day that we're living in is, is something special because we can have worship, I can preach from a different state, different city, a different country, and we can worship together. So God is so good that the fact that he has caused men and women to invent these things for the glory of God. As, as we think about that, think about television, think about the internet, think about all the things that are happening in the world. They were all created for the glory of God. These things were not meant for evil men and women, but they were meant for the people of God. And so we're reclaiming and taking our place as we utilize these. It took a pandemic for the church to realize, hey, everybody needs to be streaming. This is a way that we can get the gospel out. So, and I'm going to share with you briefly today and I'm so honored. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this opportunity to share your word with your people. I thank you, Father. I pray none of me but all of you grant unto your people the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of your power towards them that believe. I pray, Father, I thank you for the anointing. It is the anointing that makes teaching and preaching easy. And I thank you for that anointing that destroys yokes, that anointing that causes bodies to be healed, that anointing that brings understanding. And so, Father, I step into those offices that you've called me into, and I, I thank you, Father, that I flow out of that grace, the grace of teaching this morning. And I give your name glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to share with you concerning what happened at the cross. In light of Palm Sunday, in light of that the fact that next week is a, a, a Sunday that we're going to celebrate, Resurrection Sunday, so I'm going to talk about what happened at the cross. Sin is a powerful force that has destroyed so many lives. Sin is, is what took Jesus to the cross. And As we think about sin, we won't see the greatness of God until we understand how dangerous is sin, the effects of sin, all the ugliness of sin. Sin is disobedience to the moral laws of God. It is failing to obey Him. Sin will destroy your life. As we look at people on drugs, as we think about gambling problems or adultery, people who are out of control, people that are falling apart. If we don't understand sin, then we won't understand or appreciate the cross. The cross is where grace and mercy met. It is where man and God were reconciled. It is a place of forgiveness and salvation. Forgiveness isn't the the goal of Christianity, but it's actually the starting point. It's because of Jesus that we're able to receive the forgiveness that, that is necessary to have a fellowship with God, an offering that couldn't be given by any other person than a sinless person. Old Testament saints, were their sins were covered, but the New Testament saints, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are washed away as if we never sinned. 
It is the Christ who died on the cross that saves. It is his blood that cleanses. Me and Pastor Evans often talk, we talk about the lack of preaching on the gospel, the lack of preaching the gospel, not just on the gospel, but the gospel. As we think about what happened at the cross, as a teenager, I remember going to bookstores and looking for books about the cross. And I didn't find too many books about the cross. And I believe that it's the same way it is today. It's not a lot of people writing about the cross, about the resurrection, about the sinless life of Jesus. And I'm not against self-help books and, and, and books that is going to help you live out kingdom living, living out the kingdom. But it all starts with who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so I want to look at these things this morning. There's a scripture in Isaiah I want to start out with, and I'm going to read my main book or translation. I'm going to be preaching out of the New King James Version, but I'm going to read out of the NET. NET, I think it's the New English Translation. Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15. It says this, Look, my servant will succeed. He will be elevated and lifted high and greatly exalted, just as many were horrified by the sight of you. He was so disfigured, he no longer looked like a man. His form was so marred that he no longer looked human. So now he will be startled by many nations. Kings will be shocked by his exaltation, for they will witness something unannounced to them, and they will understand something that had not heard before. And then goes on in Isaiah 53, who will believe the report of the Lord. This scripture right here sets up Isaiah 53. Many of the saints are familiar with Isaiah 53. If Isaiah 53 will take a lifetime to really appreciate and, and understand the suffering servant of God who's speaking about Jesus. But here the scripture tells us in verse 14, Isaiah 52 verse 14, it says, Just as many were horrified by the sight of you, he was so disfigured he no longer looked like a man. His form was so marred he no longer looked human. This Jesus that we love, this Jesus that we just got finished singing about, this Jesus was marred. His very appearance, his very appearance did not reflect that of a human being. Sin affected Jesus so much that the scripture says in Isaiah 53 that there was no beauty that, should, that anyone desired of him. That sin affect his very appearance. I believe that if we really were to see a, a real true picture of what happened to Jesus on the cross, that nobody in the world, no one in the world will be able to hang up a picture on their wall. You know, sometimes you see little pictures of little pr pretty little crosses or even people wearing the crosses and, and they have Jesus on the cross. That cross spoke of God's judgment and God poured his wrath out upon his son so that you and I can be saved. I believe that some, so many Christians take the cross lightly. They don't see the value of it. And it, it takes a lifetime to really understand what Jesus did at the cross. The cross isn't something that we just sing about on Good Friday, but it's something that the Christian needs to be mindful of of every single day of their lives. The apostle in the earlier church, they were mindful of this cross. This cross is not something 
that you just get tatted on your, on your skin, but it's something that is reality, that Jesus was, was so affected by our sins that the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that he became sin. He didn't sin. He became the very ugly thing that God hates. That so, to, so, to such a point that God the Father turned his back on his son. What really happened at this cross? This Jesus who died for us became marred. That his very appearance was disfigured. Sin affected him to such a, a degree that he wasn't recognized. Many times people put highlights on the beating of Jesus and the, 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 the wounds of Jesus and the stripes of Jesus. But this scripture tells me that sin affected Jesus so much that it caused his appearance to be one that, that no one wanted to look at him. And we see in Revelation that when he comes, that every eye will see him. What happened at the cross? Genesis 2.15 tells us the promise of Christ's coming. That it says the, the, the seed of the woman would, would crush the head of the serpent, which speaks of Jesus crushing the head of the enemy. My brothers and my sisters, we're not in a fight against the devil. We are simply enforcing the defeat of the devil. We're enforcing his defeat. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him not only of his future, but you remind him of his past. He was defeated. Jesus defeated that joker. Jesus calls, he triumphed over Jesus, I mean over Satan at, at the cross and at the resurrection. Let's go, if you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I, I'm about to come down because I'm getting excited here. What happened at the cross? I, I want to, in light of Palm Sunday, I want to think about what happened at the cross. This cross, um, I don't know if you ever saw that, that scripture before in Isaiah 52, where it says that his very appearance was marred, disfigured. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's look at verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, this is New King James. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. This cross, this message of the cross. Some, I, I grew up in church, and some have actually put a focus on the preaching of the cross as if that itself was foolish. But as we look in the Greek, it's not the preaching itself, but it's actually the message of the cross. The message of the cross looks foolish to the world. How is it that God became a man and died for all human beings and that his blood was able to reach back to the beginning of time and cleanse everything from past, present, and future. The power of the blood of Jesus, the power of the cross is found in the blood of Jesus. And we know that Jesus lived a sinless life. And so this scripture tells us that it is the 
message of the cross that looks foolish to the world. The world can't wrap its mind around the message. It is the message that is, a, that is an offense. It's not the preaching, it's the message. Because we have great communicators today in, in today's church, but what's gonna offend the world is the message. The message causes men and women to look at themselves as God sees them. God sees sinners and he sees saints. So either you're in one or two, you're, you're, you're in one of the races. There's really two races, right? There's, there's the sin, the sinner, and then there's the saint. Either you're a sinner or you're a saint. And the blood of Jesus makes the difference. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and let's look at verses uh, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy, I'm going to read this out of the NET. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We're talking about what happened at the cross. As we think, as we get ready to celebrate the resurrection, let's think about what happened at the cross. 2 I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 simply says this. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with superior eloquence of, or wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony of God. In other words, Paul didn't come with fancy speech. Sometimes in our, in our time, in this generation, and even as they did back in Paul's day, people are, they celebrate great communication skills. And they judge whether or not a person is a great preacher or a teacher based on their ability to communicate. I want to challenge that because God can use a donkey for his glory. He can use a child for his glory and it still will benefit you. And so Paul says, I didn't come to you in fancy speech but I came to you in the power of God. He goes on. He says, I didn't come to you with wisdom. Sometimes people are, they, they admire the wisdom of men and the way that they can. There's some communicators that it's the way that they use words. It's just, it's a way of that they, they're able to communicate. And Paul says, I didn't come to you based on that. He says, verse two, for I decided to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not concerned about you being popular among you, but I'm concerned about the message that I'm bringing because it is the message of the cross that brings us to resurrection, that brings us to, to Pentecost. It's the message of the cross that brings us into the kingdom of God. For Jesus is the entrance into the kingdom. He goes on verse three and says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. In other words, Paul had much things going on. There was many trials and many tribulations that were happening in his life. He says, I didn't come to you with fancy speech. I didn't come to you with the wisdom of man, but I was determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then he goes on, he says, but when I came, I was with you in, in weakness and in much fear. In weakness and in much fear. In other words, he had a fear of God. And some translation, it tells us that his, his, his knees were, were, were shaking because of the, the, the reverence he had for God and the honor that he had of the message of the cross. And it goes on, it says, and I was with you 
in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my conversations and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Paul says, you know what? I don't want you to have faith in my ability to communicate, but I want you to have faith in the fact that it's, it's, it's the power of God. It's, it's, in other words, he says, in the gospel. He, we see in Romans 1, verse 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. A lot of times people want the power of God. You got to start with the gospel because the gospel equals power, the power of God. He says, I didn't want your faith to be in my ability to com communicate, but in the demonstration of the spirit and in the power of God. And he goes on, he says, so that your faith would not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God, on the power of God. Paul was proclaiming this cross everywhere he went. Why are we preaching another message? Why are we preaching so many messages about breakthrough? God wants to break you through. But guess what? The biggest breakthrough is the breakthrough to God through Jesus, that God gave us this message of the breakthrough. See, the little mini breakthroughs are insignificant compared to the big breakthrough, the main breakthrough, the breakthrough that God was breaking the wall that was between God and humanity. Every message should point us back to Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. David and Goliath, from David and Goliath, speaking of Jesus and Satan, from Esther and Ruth, all the way to the book of, of Revelation. This is the message of Christianity. This is not the message. The, the message of Christianity is not a better version of yourself, though you should do better. See, I don't want to go. I don't want to have to go into the world to, I mean, I can go into the world to get a good motivational speaking. A message, a message to motivate me about money and a message. You don't need Jesus to get a new car. <laughs> I know some of y'all are mad right now. <laughs> you don't need Jesus to get a new house or to raise your credit score. There's some things you can do naturally to get those things. And as saints, we better, we, we better be made aware of the fact that we need Jesus in everything we do. And I'm not, I'm not talk, taking away from that. What I'm saying to you that the message, the main message of Christianity is not how we can get things, excuse me, how we can make things better for ourselves. But the main message of, of, of Christianity is the cross. It's Jesus, him crucified. Jesus, him resurrected. That is the main message. Not, not the message of God's going to make your life better or bigger houses. And God wants you to have a big house. God wants you to have nice cars. He wants you to be out of debt. He wants you to be you know, willing to be a blessing. He, he wants to bless you to be a blessing. But the main message of Christianity is not self-help, but it's understanding our sins and understanding our offense to God Almighty. In Galatians chapter 2, let's go over there. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I need to slow down. I'm getting excited here. Galatians chapter 2, what happened at the cross? Galatians 2.20 says this. Galatians 2.20 says I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I am crucified with Christ. What happened at the cross? Our sins was laid upon Jesus. And we, our identity is now in Christ, that we are crucified with Christ. No longer are we to live our lives as the world is living, but we're living in light of Christ in his crucifixion and his resurrection. There should be no boasting of our own self. The Christian is to identify with the cross of Christ. Christ died in our place. Christ didn't die for himself, but he died for us. He, he did not die to make us rich in the sense of um, have a better, um, if you think about the word rich, it's, it really just means a surplus, having more than enough. But there's something greater, which is the reconciliation between God and man. The, the richness is the byproduct. The, the healing is the byproduct. What, what's more important is our reconciliation with God. Renew your mind on, on these facts that in our place, Jesus stood condemned. Jesus was condemned for our sins. He was crucified for our sins. He laid in the grave. And on the third day, God raised him up for our justification. God, Jesus' death did not only affect this life, but also the life to come. When saints enter into the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus' blood took care of that new heaven, purchased that new heaven, purchased that new earth, purchased your mansion, purchased your relationship with God. Jesus' Blood did all that for us. Philippians 2.8 reminds us that the Christ stripped himself. He emptied himself of his glory. Christ became a slave to the worst kind of death, the death on the cross. See, the crucifixion was the more was the modern day is, is equal to the modern day of electric, the electric chair. Or now they're in, in injecting people. It was, it was the day of capital punishment. This was his mission in life. Jesus, you know, notice that Jesus didn't, you know, just get a house, but he actually, he actually came with the mission was to die. He came, he was born to die. Go with me to Colossians, Colossians, Colossians chapter one, verse 20, Colossians chapter one, verse 20. We're talking about what happened at the cross. What happened at the cross? So many believers are focusing on the wrong things. If all of our Christian walk, is it, if, it's, it's, if it's all about making your life better, you can actually have a better life outside of Christ in the sense of, you know, sometimes the will of God is for you to die for this message. As we look at even Peter and John and different ones, well, John didn't die that way, but different ones who died for this message. So all, the will of God is not always tied up in having your best life now, but it could be a life of persecution. And as, as we see things are changing in the world, we see that this, the more we understand this message, the more we understand the hope that we have, and also it'll be the more we understand why people will persecute us. People are not going to persecute us over the, the fact that God wants to bless us with a new house. Though God wants to bless us with a new house, that's not the main message. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 says this, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, 
by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus made peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1, it says, therefore, we have been justified by faith. We've been justified. We have peace with God through, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified by faith. We've been declared righteous and just in his sight because of the blood of Jesus, because of what Jesus did. It says, heaven made peace through his blood. Christ made peace through his blood. Now we have peace with God and the peace from God. There's no peace where there's no peace. There's no God. God is not among people. In other words, God is the God of peace. There is no peace without the peace with God. In order to get peace from God, you got to have peace with God. And here we see it's through the blood of his cross. Jump down to chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14 says this, And you been dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Let me turn over. <laughs> he has made a life together with him, having forgiving, have for, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailing it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Here, Jesus, wiping away the handwriting against us, the transgressions that were against us, the sins that we were, we were in debt so much that it cost Jesus his life to wipe away the debt. And I'm talking about spiritual debt. I'm talking about that we had so much debt with God that as we think about sin, one sin is worth a hell of eternity. Let me say that again. One sin is worth a hell of eternity. And Jesus wiped away everything that was against us, everything that said that we were guilty. I I, there's an old song that's in my head right now by the O'Neill twins. It's called Jesus Dropped the Charges. I was guilty, and yet because of, the blood, because of the blood of Jesus, Jesus dropped the charges that was against me. And he made me as if I never sinned. As we think about what happened at the cross, Jesus became the very thing that we were in order that we may be what he is. We were sinners without God. We were without the coming wealth of Israel. We were, without, we were without a covenant with God. And Jesus became that in order for us to become sons and daughters of God. We were adopted. We were engrafted into this olive tree. Glory to God. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says this, that Christ endured the cross for the joy that, that was set before him. And I want to submit to you, saints of the Most High, that that joy is you and I. We were the joy that was set before God, for, before Jesus Almighty. We were set before him. He, was, he wanted us so much that he died to get us. We redeemed. We, we're, we are purchased twice. We, we want, well, not purchased twice. We were purchased once, but we're owned twice. He owned us simply the fact that we were his creation, 
and that he purchased us with his blood according to 1 Corinthians. Amen. My last passage will be 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I pray that you're getting something out of it. Thinking about what happened at the cross. What took place at the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look at, let's jump down to verse So much, it's, so, it's so much here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you look at verse 11, and it goes down to verse 20, 21, verse 11 through 13, Paul is simply saying that he understands the fear of the Lord. How many know that we need to grow in the fear of the Lord? We don't fear God enough. You may be saved, but it doesn't necessarily mean you, you fear God. You may even have a relationship with God. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we fear the Lord. If we fear the Lord, we will make sure we're on the Zoom calls every Sunday. Uh, We make sure we show up for prayer. And when there is in-service or in-person meeting, and it goes on. Let's jump down to verse start of verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. He died for all that those who live should live no longer from themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Let me read that again. He died, latter part of 14. For if one died for all, then all died. He died for all that those who live should live no longer from themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Here we see that Christ died for all of us. Our identity is in that cross. Our identity is in Christ. Christ's Christ's death was our death. As we think about what happened at the cross, Christ's death was our death. Christ died for us so that we can live for him. He did not die just to populate heaven, but he died so that we can live for him. He not only died for us, but he was raised for us. The Bible talks about that we, he, that it is through his resurrection that we, we have been justified. He was resurrected from the dead for our justification. Our justification simply means I, I've been, been declared just before God or declared righteous. Did you know that you and I are just as righteous before God as Jesus is? We're just as righteous before God as Jesus is. So when God sees us, he sees no, talking about the saints, he sees no difference between us and Jesus in the sense of that his righteousness, he is our righteousness. His sinless life was applied to our life. Let's think about this. His his birth, his life, his death, His resurrection, his ascension, and his return are all connected to our salvation. And I forgot one. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the the sending of the Spirit, then his return are all part of our salvation. It was all designed to get us back with God. There's a scripture in Peter that says, that Jesus suffered that we may be with him, that we may be with God the Father, that we may receive the Spirit. Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law because the Bible says, quoting the Old Testament, curse is he that hangs on the tree. And then goes on and says that we may receive the blessing of Abraham and receive the promise of the Spirit. So Jesus' death 
secured our blessings as well as our forgiveness of sins, the receiving of the spirit and our place in eternity with him forever. Our identity is not according to our flesh, but according to the newness of life. And the scripture continues, says we walk by faith and not by sight. And verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are past. Behold, all things are new. What does that mean? I know we quote it often. All things are, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. No, my old life, my sins are passed away. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And in in Amplify, it says they are something, a new species, something that never existed before. Sinners don't need to be made over or revit, uh, um, um, doesn't need to be a new version of themselves, right? Christianity is not making a a sinner a new version of themselves, but making them something that never existed. In Christ, or in the death and resurrection of Christ, we see our identity in such a way that we are no longer associated with our life prior to Christ. Whatever was associated with that lifestyle, whatever was associated with Satan and sin, the Bible says in Colossians says, we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and translated or transferred into the kingdom of his dear son and whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. And so this scripture tells us if anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation, something that never existed before. No longer am I just a human, but now I'm God's new Workmanship. I am created in Christ Jesus, a workmanship created for good works. So God creates us and makes us brand new. Glory to God. Glory to God. So the purpose of our forgiveness is so that we so we can have God himself and be with him forever. He turned around and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. My time is getting away. I'm going to jump down to verse 21. It says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we may, God made Christ to be sin for us. God made Christ to become the ugly thing that offends him the most. God made Christ to be separated from himself. God made Christ, he put sin on Christ to the place that we weren't able to recognize Christ in the flesh. Christ became sin so that we may become righteousness. This is what happened at the cross. Christ became poor so that we may become rich. Christ was forsaken so that we could be accepted. Christ came into darkness so that we could be the light. Christ bore our sicknesses so that we can be healed. Christ came to the earth and died and went to hell so that we can go to heaven. Christ exchanged his sinless life for our sinful life. This is what, what happened at the cross. This, there was a great exchange that took place. No, that I became a saint at the cross. I became forgiven at the cross. I became a new creation at the cross. I became healed at the cross. I became prosperous at the cross. See, God bless, blesses us with finances so that we can preach the cross, so the message of the cross, so that we can advance the kingdom of God, so that we can populate heaven, so we can get a bunch of people reconciled to God. 
Glory to God. This is what happened at the cross. No longer do I stand before God as a guilty sinner. Now I stand before God as if I never sinned. The Bible tells me that I, I am the righteousness of God in him or in Christ. I am his righteousness. What does that mean? The word righteousness simply means the ability to stand in the presence of God without any sense of guilt or condemnation. Let me say that again. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God without any sense of guilt or inferiority. I stand before God as Jesus sits at his right hand. The Bible actually tells me that I am, I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. So that's what happened at the cross. He made me righteous. Now let me break it down for the young people that's on here. Let's think about this. If a friend comes by and let's say they committed a, a, a crime prior to picking me up and I get in the car and, and a cop pulls the car over and they find the driver guilty, then the passenger is also guilty. And that's what happened with Adam. We were born in the car with Adam and we all are associated with the sin of Adam. His sin affected us all. By one man, sin entered into the world and we all became sinners. Guess what happened when I got born again? Now I switched drivers. So when God pulls over the driver, he sees Jesus and his righteousness. Jesus lived, he was born a virgin, of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, died a vicarious death, and was resurrected with a glorious resurrection. And now when God sees me, he sees me through the blood of this righteous man. And so when God pulls over the car over, he sees me righteous just as Jesus is righteous. This is why <coughs> you can give all your money away and still not make it to heaven. You can come to church and still not make it to heaven. You can love praise and worship and read Christian books and still not make it to heaven because we need the living Christ. We need his birth, his life, and his resurrection, his death and resurrection. See, Jesus' death Within itself, there is no power in his death, but his life gave value to his death. And the resurrection is the approval of Jesus' birth, life, and death as the sacrifice for all humanity. Glory to God. So this is what happened at the cross. We became righteous. We became children of God. We, became, we, were, we were adopted in the family of God. No longer am I just a sinner saved by grace, but now I'm a saint saved by grace. He saved me from his wrath. I said, this is a statement that is, gets much, is much controversial around this statement. God sent Jesus to save me from himself. He sent Jesus to die and to save me from the wrath of God Almighty. What am I saved from? I'm saved from his wrath and I'm saved unto his righteousness. I, he, he became poor that I may become rich. He became sick that I may be well. He became um, estranged from God so that I can be accepted. No longer do I have to receive that which has bound me. Glory to God. If you're here and you want to receive Jesus as your savior, I want to invite you 
to make Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says that this is the only sin. <laughs> Let me say it like this. If you don't receive this gift, this, the rejection of this gift will end you in a place called hell. And I want to extend to you God's grace and his mercy. The Bible talks about his hand is stretched out to us. The Bible also tells us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive Jesus. Today is the day is to receive the blood on your life. Today is the day is to receive the fullness of the spirit. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today is the day for you to come out of sin. You sinner, you sinner need to come to Christ. You backslider need to renounce that lifestyle and receive the forgiveness and get back in fellowship with God Almighty. And you say, Pastor Dwayne, I'm here. I want to receive Christ and I want to receive the, I want to be restored back to Christ. If you once received, was once walking with Christ, now's the day to receive the forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ. And you, believer, who's walking with God, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and understand what happened at the cross. It's not just a pretty little message. It's the message that Jesus died to give us. It is his life. It's his birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and his return. This is the message of Christianity. He said, that's me. I want to receive Christ. I want you to be bold and brave enough to raise your head and say, I'm going to receive him. I'm going to receive. And you, backslider, I call you forth. Some of some people, I was just talking to my wife about this the other day, how there is a perversion of thinking when it comes to Christianity in today's society. How people think, <coughs> people think that they're okay with God because they're associating themselves with church folks and they're associating themselves as a member of the church. They, they attend church by way of, of, of YouTube and Facebook and Zoom. They, they associate with the things of God and think that they're okay with God. But I'm telling you, baby, you got to be born again. You got to receive Jesus and not, not just only accept him, but receive him and renounce every other God. You have to bow your knees. You got to acknowledge that God is who he says he is and that you're willing to receive that which Jesus died to give you. And if you hear, you want to say this, repeat this prayer after me. There's no magic in the prayer, but it's faith in God. And prayer is a way in which we release our faith in the living God. Say, Father God, I come to you in Jesus name and I receive your son. I believe that Christ died for my sins. And I acknowledge that I'm nothing without him. And I receive Jesus now as my savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If you're a backslider, I call you forth. Say, Father God, forgive me. I come back home. I'm coming home to you and I'll receive the forgiveness in Jesus. You said, if I confess my sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I receive the forgiveness of God in Christ. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God bless you. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732 324 
1-800-222-2200. Or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His Word. God bless you.